Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror in media, and today we will be discussing Color Out of Space. I'm Mitch. I'm Murr. And I'm Jonathan. Uh, so, Color Out of Space came out last year. Yeah. So, we'll definitely start off with some like production points, just to kind of give you an idea of who made it, who was involved, important things like that, and it's... Uh, it's things that will mean something because it has Nicolas Cage in it. So it's like we want to <laughs> let you know that it has Nicolas Cage in it. Yes, we do. <laughs> we actually do have a love for Nicolas Cage After here. Mandy? Yeah. After Mandy, yes. And there, there's a few other movies that I really enjoyed of his, like Raising Arizona. Yeah. And uh, What, you don't mean The Wicker Man? Oh, The Wicker <laughs> <laughs> Man. No, but really. What what uh, what are some important production points, Mer? Uh, So the movie was – Directed by Richard Stanley. Yes. Uh, also written by him and a person called Scarlett Am- Amorous. Yeah, although she doesn't really get a whole lot of credit, which kind of sucks. Uh, not like on the poster or anything. It's Ooh. just really on like the smaller, like detailed portions of the credit. So mm-hmm. he did co-write it with somebody, but he was also the director. So he probably stiff-armed this person to be like, I'm the one who's going to get the credit yeah. for something like that. Uh, it is based on the short story "The Color Out of Space" by H.P. Lovecraft. Yes. Uh, fun fact: If you didn't know, "Color Out of Space" is H.P. Lovecraft's favorite short story he ever wrote. Yeah, he like mentions it many times, and he's been asked about it. And he was inspired by another story that's actually in the film, the book "The Willows." He thinks that's like one of the best pieces of American literature or English literature. Sorry. Color out of space. Uh, no, no, oh, the, the willows. willows. Oh, I see. The willows, the book that Ward is reading. Oh, when okay. he's sitting out there, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's important two two. at some point in the story, but uh, it's important because it sort of came before H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, okay. And so that's sort of like the story that existed. Uh, it should note uh, everyone that is listening to the podcast that we are very aware that H.P. Lovecraft was a racist. <laughs> Uh, we do not condone or support this, but we are going to be focusing more on the film rather than the novel uh, from here on. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's like it, we so many people have discussed H.P. Lovecraft's work and a lot of things that get brought up is that he should not be mentioned because he was such a blatant racist during his time period. But it's it's already inspired so many different things. And this film is really good and could stand on its own. So it's like I feel like it's something that shouldn't really be too concerning. But I still wanted to make note of it. Uh, Lovecraft was a character. He He's was like dude. he was incredibly like reclusive. Um, he was also friends with Robert E. Howard, who wrote the Conan the Barbarian stories. Yeah, yeah. If you weren't aware, um, they actually had like sent letters back and forth all the time and whatnot. He's very much a product of his time, and I think that's where you get a lot of those like those points from him anyway, or at least why you're going to get those like racist views from him and things like that, just because that's just it, that's the 20s, man. It's the 20s. It's also just like the area he grew up in. I feel like he was like just a big he shut had in. A bunch as well. of phobias too. I think. Yeah, he like... was afraid of a lot of things. Like, <laughs> like I think he was like afraid of like fish and yeah. like and like. Well, general... he was afraid of like fish and like the very open waters of the ocean. Yeah. As well as like he was a germaphobe on like so many levels and didn't yeah. want to interact with people because of that. Yeah. It, it makes sense why he like wrote so most many most of his, his stuff. Novels. Yeah. It's all yeah. like. Uh, create it's basically fueling his fear and, and then he so brought many, it to life there's so many stories about fish and like open water within like hp <laughs> lovecraft's yeah. catalog straight into like the elder god kind yeah. of thing it's a lot of fear of the unknown and i i don't think that he should be discounted because he 
held views that a lot of people did in the 20s because, you know, they're in the time of like eugenics. They're all being misled by bullshit, basically. <laughs> and it's unfortunate and it's unfortunate that that has to be brought up. But um, when it comes when it comes to Lovecraft, his influence is undeniable. Yeah, you just can't you can't yeah. deny it whatsoever. Well, like, in most cases, he's considered to be like the father of most of gothic horror. Yep, <laughs> pretty much the father of cosmic horror and, and gothic. Horror. Yeah, he like originated that term. I think mm-hmm. I don't think and cosmic then, horror is yeah, his thing. Is his I own mean, thing. I mean, even so much that when people are like, "Hey, I'd like to write," um, what is it? It's considered like weird fiction. Well, no, they're like I'd like to write cosmic horror. Like, oh, okay, so you're trying yeah. to make some Lovecraftian exactly. horror. Yeah, it's like Literally specifically his. Yeah. Um, should be noted though that our two main star, or not our main stars, but some big names in the movie are Nicolas Cage, obviously, uh, playing Nathan Gardner, and Tommy Chong, who you should probably know, he smokes weed. He <laughs> From Cheech and fun, Chong, seventy show. Yeah, yeah, he was on that seventy show. He had a cameo in Jay and Silent Bob. The well, he's gonna movie. he's gonna be in the reboot. The oh, new one I that see. they're he making. Was in the reboot. Yeah, yeah, I actually just saw that a little while ago. Oh, what? Yeah, it's, it's it was it was alright. Wait, it's already released. Did yeah. I miss that? Uh-huh. Holy shit! Okay, yeah. it's on like it's on like iTunes Play and stuff oh, like fuck. that. Right? Speak, speaking about very limited releases, this is a limited release movie. Very. Uh, it's in theaters right now. Yeah. Yep. And uh, you can go see it. So far, it's only grossed six thousand two hundred or six hundred to twenty one thousand dollars yeah so that's so far right now in the limited box office release we'll have to see in a couple of weeks right uh, if it made its money back or not it's unique in the fact that it was originally presented at like a film festival and then moved into getting um distribution rights and then went into theaters so it's why i was able to get my hands on a copy of the film but like while it's in theaters <laughs> i think like that was the same thing with Mandy, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're both like indie films that no one really wanted to support all that much, but they're like some of the best movies we've covered. Like they're really, really good horror mm-hmm. films, and they touch on so many different points in this one. So it kind of leads straight into like, what was your like initial thoughts of it? Like, what do you think about the introduction? They literally take a quote from the book and yeah, started off that from, way from the short story. From the short story I, I would like space. to actually read this. You should definitely it it is it. actually a beautiful bit of prose. Yes. It's, it's really beautiful. It's good. Um, really shows like why, why there is a divide as to um, uh, credibility as to Lovecraft's ability to write, which he definitely had a knack for some very good writing. He had some very good <laughs> prose. Um, so uh, the, it, the quote goes, West of Arkham, the hills rise wild, and there are valleys with deep woods that no axe has ever cut. There are dark, narrow glens where the trees slope fantastically, and where thin brooklets trickle without ever having caught the glint of sunlight. It's just a beautiful, a beautiful bit that starts off that story really well. Right. Did you do you guys feel like this set sort of the beginning of the story like the pacing maybe even like the mood and yeah, tone of the story I, and it sets like the f- opening scene too like the opening scene with like as you're walking like basically just seeing yeah, a forest a vast and, view of the woods and the forest surrounding and then it goes to uh lydia lot 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 lavinia lavinia thank you all right i was i was like leviticus no 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 lot latvia yeah. <laughs> God damn it, no. <laughs> Lavinia. Lavinia, excuse yeah. me. Well, the thing is, it's really good imagery from that. Uh, I read the short story in preparation for uh, this movie. And Do the you... thing is, when I was reading the yeah. the book, I was picturing pretty much everything that was on screen, like how it looked. Yeah, he has really vivid very, language for the description of the area that you're in, the you setting. Know, very wavy trees yeah. and just 
you know, it looks incredible. I mean, it's very, it's almost, there's a lot of fog too. It just looks really nice. This was such a compliment to other films that are similar to it, in which case Mandy would fall into this realm because they were really good at creating the tone and the setting when you first go in and sort of what they're feeling about just being in the forest around them. And so these are like really secluded areas. Arkham is actually a fake city that was made for the story. So that's not actually a real place in Massachusetts. So it's like this is a fake place to begin with. And so once like they start the story there, you kind of have to like suspend your disbelief like you have to for most of these horror films because it has its own world that it kind of exists in. You know, I also saw on the TV when they were doing the TV report, they also like uh, referenced another uh, movie or book from H.P. Lovecraft. I think it was saying like uh, Arkham City News uh, subsection like Innsmouth or whatever. Oh, even, dang, did I miss well, that? Well, it also mentions Dunwich. Oh, wait, that's what well. yes, Dun- Dunwich yeah, is another Dunwich. place that it mentions. Sorry, Dunwich. A.K.A. the Dunwich Horrors. Yeah, you yeah. say A.K.A. Yeah, from the Dunwich Horror. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of little nods in here if you catch yes, your eyes there on is them. quite a lot. But, yeah. Also, I mean, it's also one thing, like, you have a lot. One thing that lends to uh, Lovecraft's, like, uh, I would say his like descriptions of things, like his very vivid descriptions. He uses a lot of archaic language. Yes, like things that people don't have, like haven't heard in a while. Yeah, exactly, because he just had a fascination with the past sort of deal. And uh, I think one of like I, like who says the word squamous? Who says that? Like, who who uses the word squamous? Well, I'm, all, I'm just gonna squamous? say You're it means like squamous. scaly. You're oh, probably like not. the first yeah. person in like 50 years to use it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, you so. can Google which words have been like used and like when they were popular. Mm-hmm. And some of them are pretty funny. Like in the 1700s, like gang was used a lot <laughs> because of like all of the the gangs they were getting together to like have revolutions. But it's just funny to think of how that word turned out now where people are just like gang, 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 gang. But it's like you can look up that kind of shit and see like when's the last time somebody used this word and like was it popular? But but I think really what I wanted to know is so Murr mentioned he read it. Have have you read it, Mitch? Have you read the short it's story? It's been a very long time. Yeah. Been a very, very long time since I've read it. So I think Murr actually will be a much better candidate right. to discuss I mean, this I, than me. I have the like collection of H.P. Lovecraft on my shelf, Same. so I read like half of it. And then I remember just how wordy H.P. Lovecraft was because it's dense. It's a it's a short it's a really long short story. Yeah, it's like it, there's no breaks in it. Like it like it's just solid block of writing that yeah. he didn't even really break into anything. Like no paragraphs right. or just very few paragraphs. And that's the thing. Like uh, I was trying to crunch on time and just like checking out. Okay, maybe I could listen to an audio book while I drive. That way I could right. you know fix it. It's an hour and twenty. Yeah, for the audio book. Yeah, I mean, to read it, that. It's a good amount of reading, but nothing like. Uh, in the mouth of madness with 14 hours but <laughs> right uh but so i will say that the sound production or not sound production but the music was made by colin stetson yes i wanted to mention that uh he dozens made, of people he's made music with yes absolutely uh he made the hereditary soundtrack a couple years back but he is just a famous saxophonist and <laughs> he brings a very nice uh, soundscape to the atmosphere he made like custom music for this yeah film right like he yes. was playing along with whatever was going on i wonder if they just placed the film in front of him and were like can you make a soundtrack of this <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing it's like uh it's it the music in this movie reminds me of the very ambient stuff from uh the safety brothers made by o'neill tricks point never nice it's just very ambient stuff that yeah could get into rising crescendos when it needs to and it's perfect for the horror setting. Yeah. It works so well. And you could buy a vinyl of this already. 
Oh, what? Yeah, it's already out. It's on like a really nice purple vinyl. Ooh, I might go find I stand, something I like stand that. vinyl. Every time that we talk about movies, I'm just like, yeah, you can get that You know, you can get that on vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I stand tapes, too. Everyone knows this. Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> um, so, the, so it's good that you mentioned the color of the vinyl because the color is important in the in the film itself because the color in the story in the short story is kind of unnameable they don't really know what the color is and will explain it as many different things but the film decided to focus on this pinkish purplish hue yeah. i can't i don't even really know what to call it a meteor comes from uh the sky yeah and it emits a light that is undescribable to the uh, characters right they don't even know what to say when it drops they're just freaking out about it but, I mean, what do you think the color is sort of referring to? Is it, like, aliens? Is it elder gods? Could it be that overwhelming knowledge that H.P. Lovecraft kind of talks about, that cosmic horror kind of thing? I would agree with the last part, that it's definitely an overwhelming sense of knowledge, perhaps a message. And based upon what it does in the movie and how we get, like, a vision of the elder gods' world and whatnot, like, yeah, just covered in later. tentacles and whatnot, yeah. and much later... It almost seems to me like this color is trying to transform this world into its own in a way. Yeah. Oh, man. It reminds me of the Eldrazi shit. Yeah. From, yeah. from Magic the Gathering. Yeah. They just yeah, want to assimilate everything. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> because the meteorite starts letting out this color into the landscape and it changes, like, it changes all of the flowers. It changes the fruits and vegetables, the trees, the animals get changed. It creates, like, some crazy looking bug that comes out of it and just flies away. It's like a weird purple mantis with, like, eight eyes yeah and it has like a stinger like a wasp or something and then like weird like tentacles come out of its mouth yeah a lot of the mind flares from D D. <laughs> yeah yeah um but what do you think of it doing that was it like for a specific purpose like were they really trying to take over the whole area or did it just happen to be there and it started there i think the latter it's like it was gonna consume everything unless something happened yeah uh, i think you know it was just it just happened. I think also it has to do with location because yeah. their their house just happened to be above where the opening was. So, uh, so the, what's I think this is sort of connected to what was like the significance of the well and like they're sort of it seemed that their water was like poisoned or it was uh, what's the word tainted like it, it wasn't clear water, even though it was coming from an aquifer. It, well, at first, there's a lot of focus in the film, a lot of shots of water. Right. There's a lot of shots of them pouring water. They get it, and it looks very clean at first until you get to uh, Ezra's house where they basically, like, he sees that it looks like it has, like, some rust in it or something along those lines. And uh, I would say that, but all this happens after the comet hits. Right. That's when you start seeing, like, dirty water and, like, well, it's got, like, a purple hue to it. I remember them saying, though, that, like, it's just sort of always been like that. And it's like he, the ward, the guy who comes in to test the water, he's a hydrologist. Yeah. He mentions like it shouldn't be that dirty around this time of year. Yeah. And so he feels like the area, like something is going on there, even before the comet arrives or the, was it a meteorite? meteorite. It was a meteorite. Even before the meteorite lands, he says that like the area is kind of weird to begin with and that there might be something off, which fits in really nicely with the story because they mentioned that the area has always just been kind of weird. Yeah. And they call it, like, the strange times in the story where there's only, like, a few people who survived the ordeal, including Ward. There was just, like, one or two other people. And so I wonder if, like, it was just a perfect area for something like that to happen because it's so remote. And, like, it wouldn't hit, like, a main metropolitan city and, like, get sort of quarantined very quickly. 
it would just definitely have the capacity to grow in that area. Uh, in the original story, uh, they were talking about how uh, it would just ruin crops and make animals go mad. Nothing crazy. Like Didn't we they, saw. like, disintegrate, basically? And, uh, event- eventually, yeah. yes. Um, it also made, like, the fruit and vegetables in the area grow really large, but they tasted disgusting. Yeah. So it was kind of like there's a scene in the movie I where where uh, where Nicolas Cage is walking around and he's like getting all of his tomatoes and going and everything and he's like biting into them and he's just like this is nasty it's nasty he's like I don't get it I followed every step I could and step. it just it tastes like shit he yeah. gets like a flash where he sort of switches to like how his father would respond to things yeah then does that voice which is a great Trump impersonation yeah like it's you mentioned. super funny yeah like we uh Mitch noticed right at the beginning that it seemed that even though he was supposed to be impersonating his father it sounded very similar to what Trump would sound like yeah and so we enjoyed the impression that he was doing through that and that's a really good scene because it just shows how like Nicolas Cage is in He's embracing like characters that just go fucking crazy. They go mad in, yeah. the, in the films and is okay with that. I mean, this is probably one of the best Lovecraft adaptations I've ever seen. And I've seen at least like three other movies, two other movies that he I can name, which had, was like a what's up? He hasn't had good film representation. Not no, at all. No one's willing to take up reading it and adapting it because it's just so vivid in most cases yeah. and they don't know where to start. Yeah. I've seen like some short films for Lovecraftian things that were kind of okay, and then I watched. Uh, I've seen the silent film Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, which is interesting. It's just weird. Yeah, it's strange, but it, it it's it worth watching. Does though. the it does the story basically, yeah. and then I've also seen, and then of course I've seen the uh, the weird adaptation, which was at the mouth of madness. Yeah, which I liked a lot actually, right. but it's not a direct. Um, no it's more of like an homage to well it should be noted that this isn't exactly the story that is in the short story the film is only focusing on the event that happens that is only mentioned in the short story and so we're kind of getting an idea of what was the event and why was why did it turn the area so weird because ward was the survivor of this and Mm -hmm. so he explains like what happened so the film is like what happens and then the short story is like him recounting it like only a few details from the story yeah so it was their way of like adapting the story but like not adapting it word for word like for they yeah. had to follow that story yeah. on. so it was a good way to do that yes i and it, it's it's probably one of the best ones i've seen yeah easily. no it was really good but so so going back to the beginning you mentioned that lavinia is it starts with her doing a ritual yes and she mentions that is it her mom that has cancer yes correct so she's yeah. trying to make like a ceiling sort of uh um, like a, a healing, yeah, a healing, healing ritual, like, you know, spell or ritual for it to get rid of the cancer. The the film does a really good job of not like out like like directly telling you that that's what their mother just went through, right? And they just do it sort of through dialogue. They do it through things like that. Like one of the ones I can think of is they're on the porch, yes, and Nicolas Cage is like rubbing up on her neck and stuff, <laughs> and like, oh, it's been six months. Should we try? Yeah, and she's like, I can't believe that you even like look at me like that anymore. Can you even look at me like that? And he's like, you know, I've always been a leg man. <laughs> you know what? Uh, kudos to this film for having an age appropriate couple. They're both the same age. Yeah. Like, it's not a super young girl with Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. And, like, because Nicolas Cage is, like, what, 50-something? Yeah, exactly. He's, and, like, uh, I think the girl from Mandy was pretty young. Yeah. In comparison to, like, the wife that he was paired with this time, who 
didn't get too much screen time, but she was important for the story later on. She represents like the big turning point for the mental state of of this family, yeah, of the, of the Gardner family. family, because once that meteor hits, everything changes after it that. It starts slow, but like ramps up every fucking second. I like the pacing though. It yeah, was really a lot. Well done. Like a lot. What was it? I was uh. I sent a message out to someone while watching this, and then a bunch of shit happened. And I looked at my <laughs> phone. I'm like, when did I send that message? Six minutes. Six minutes have passed, and so much <laughs> has happened. And I was just like, wow, this is freaking awesome. I have how much left? An hour and a half? Awesome. Right. The movie, I feel like uh, it it makes it hard for you to decipher when exactly are the acts changing, like uh, if it's following the three-act structure at all. So it's just like you you had a hard time finding their transitions except for some big moments when, like, the mother cuts off her fingers. Yeah. And, like, just does so without even realizing, and it's just because she's so distracted from what's happening in the area. And the meteorite is kind of changing everything that's going on around it. Like, it even warps, like, time and space. Yeah. Yeah, they, they explain, or they try, the characters are trying to figure out how, like, oh, I just went inside, and it's now it's completely pitch dark. I went inside and now there's it's completely sunny outside. Their perception, not their perception, but what's going on with reality around the house because of the meteorite is getting shifted and distorted. Right. A big a, another thing that it does as well is, I mean, along with the mental state and whatnot, um, the environment around them changes as well. So um, Nicholas Cage's character will be like, "Did you plant those flowers?" Yeah, it's such a, a subtle, like, throwaway line where you're just like, oh, it's actually, like, starting to spread. And it spreads around the well as well. Yeah, it all spreads <laughs> from the well. These little purple flowers start growing out. And you can see purple, like, growing along trees yeah. and whatnot as well later. And it just starts to really, like, ramp up later on. As the movie gets bigger, so does the amount of vegetation that grows That's and whatnot that as color. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the novel, I will say, they have people that come out and test on the meteorite. Yes. They try doing a lot of different solvents on it. They try water. They try uh, boiling nickel. They try all these different – they try uh, hydrofluoric acid, all these things, and they don't do anything. Yeah, nothing will, like, uh, break sort of, like, the surface on top. And because of that, the news was uh, ostracizing the person and basically making them seem like they're crazy for having these superstitions while shit's going down. And, <laughs> and I mean, that was only through newspaper and, like, talk of the town because back in the day you know no technology but in this it's revamped as you know uh nicholas cage talking to a news reporter right and they they uh flip it and say that he's looking he saw a ufo oh that was great they're saying he was you like he was a ufo like enthusiast and then the, uh, he, they say he's like a bourbon connoisseur yeah, because he mentioned so that he had been drinking a few he's glasses. a drunk and he believes in aliens yeah <laughs> no no because no, it was like hey it's so great it was like uh do you were you drunk that night or were you right? She's like trying to get him to like look dumb on and, TV. And the funniest thing ever, he's just like, uh, you know, I have a couple bourbon and his hair's all fucked up. Ne next fucking scene. They're like, um, uh, Nick, Gar uh, Nick Gardner or whatever. Amateur Nathan. Gardner. Bar bourbon connoisseur. Yeah, it's so bad. <laughs> and he's flipping out. He's like, motherfucker, like, are you serious? Like, look at my this? hair. Yeah. <laughs> God, he's like, I should have just combed my hair. It's so great. 
And it's really funny because it shows kind of like what the media sort of does to people sometimes. And it's, of course, uh, like they're never going to tell the real story because they want people to watch to see like the craziness that's going on in the area. Like even the mayor is like completely heartless and like only wants to get this uh, new sort of like water. Uh, what is it like a water purification center? Yeah. To like the area so that they can provide water and become really important to like the area. And they're not just some forgotten town. And so she's very, like, the ward is originally there to make sure that the water is clean so that they can actually build it. But she completely, like, rejects him later in the she's film. She's very pissed off because he didn't sell her the property right. as well. Like, if you didn't want to deal with this, you should have sold me the property. Yeah, she mentions, like, you should have sold it to me when you had the chance. But, of course, they're not going to sell to this lady because they don't want to deal with something. I mean, Nicholas Cage and his wife love their little small town. or you It's know, a nice place that they live out in. Out in the woods home and they're alpacas well they're alpacas right (laughs) yeah we'll talk about the alpacas (laughs) (laughs) the alpacas um so one of the like the main things that i noticed was so the mom is dealing with cancer and so the the daughter lavinia makes that um ritual to kind of see if she can get rid of the cancer but there's also like a really interesting thing that happens later on when the youngest son is it uh jake jack yeah, it's Jack. Jack gets fused to his mom because of this oh my color entity that's floating around them. He also, I mean, the imaginary friend bit is also just really off-putting. Well, yeah. Where you hear what, the little whistle yeah, in, like, in the background, exactly. and you always just be like, oh, they're talking to me. But but one of They're the, also like, talking to Tommy Chong. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, there's... Oh, God, there's so many parts of it. But I think one of the main things was that the only one that was sort of different was Lavinia. And I think it was because of like the sigils that she put on herself. She even has one like on her forehead, which I actually had to look into and Justine helped me find it as well, where there was um, that diamond that she put onto her forehead with opening on the bottom. And so we found out that it it's the culmination of all of the elements. So it's air, fire, water and earth starting from top to bottom. And then the bottom is open. So I kind of just assumed that maybe she was like uh, or I'm sorry, Justine, Justine found out that the opening could mean that she was a conduit for the ether, in this case, a negative ether. And so she was able to flow, to have all of the energy flow through her. And it's why Ward was able to glimpse that planet that they, I guess they're all from. Ooh, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah, And so she survived for a moment because she was able to like become that conduit to come through. And then she gets consumed by it because she has so much like, I'm guessing it's like overwhelming knowledge that she gets and then it just assimilates her into like the color, Mm -hmm. but it happens with the mom and the son. She assimilates like literally her own flesh and blood back into herself. Well, that's the thing though. Her son becomes a tumor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It literally cancer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, it's so fucked. And he's just screaming in agony the entire time. The way that it happens too is because they hear stuff in the barn and then just the light just comes out and like lightning bolts them and just fuses them together like welding. Just <laughs> yeah, it's really gross. Right. I thought they were dead. Yeah. At first they were. Yeah. I did too. I thought they were gonna die very shortly after. She starts like the mother starts acting like a strange creature at that point too. She becomes very inhuman at that point too with how she yeah. deals with her world. Like she's like licking out of a bowl of water instead of using her hands. And yeah, things that like was that. fucking and, weird. And it's very strange, and this is definitely part of the, where the film really ramps up and whatnot as well. Yeah. It, you also get that side story with Ward, where yeah. he's trying to figure out what exactly is going on in the area. You know, he has his own tent. 
He has his own little station yeah. where he's testing. And why the, water. the fuck is Ward reading the willows in the middle of the fucking woods in like the nighttime? Like that's the scariest fucking story to read. Really? Yeah. In the like in the middle of the night like that, I was like, what? No, like everything about this scene is awful. He's out there by himself. Just sitting in front of his tent like no big deal in the middle of the fucking woods. Well, how bad is The Willows? Is it really terrifying? The Willows is a story about how these two guys take their little canoe into like a river and like a forested area. And like the forest itself kind of comes to life and starts like fucking with them. As in like the trees move, the water moves, like it like almost kills them many times. And then they start like turning on each other because they don't know like if the person is just messing with them. Like items and food go missing. Oh, um, so it's just like, do I trust this person? Yes. Like, did you, it's pretty much the same thing with Frodo. Did you eat the last piece of bread? No, I swear, oh, Frodo, God, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, like... it's, it's really good. And the Willows is actually, um, a piece of literature that inspired HP Lovecraft. It was pre HP Lovecraft. And so it ended up being something that really influenced like the sort of Gothic horror that he really focused in on. And so one of like the really good lines, which I'll find it at some point, but that was sort of like the main thing that he was reading. But Ward finds out a whole bunch of stuff, especially when he goes and talks to Ezra, who is played by Tommy Chong. And of <laughs> course, he's smoking weed. He's living off the grid. He's like a squatter on their property. You want to smoke some Jabba? Yeah, that was great. I, I fucking love that he's just still smoking weed. Yeah. And, and he, he had his cat. He like drinks the brown water. He's just like, I don't know if you want to do it. He's like, he's like, that's, that's from like, that's, that's mother earth's gift straight from the tit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what, what's the cat's name again? Oh, G spot. G spot. <laughs> A pussy named G spot. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. That was such a good joke. They even mentioned like, what a great fucking name. Like Benny, yeah. the older brother mentions like, come on, that's like the best name for a cat. Mm-hmm. Um, Pretty soon after, all the electronics in the area glitch. Right, but before that, he's he has a chat with uh with Tommy or or no, I'm sorry, he has a he has a chat with um Ezra, Ezra about like what the fuck are you doing? Because Ezra is listening in on some of the static that's coming in from the ground around him, and he kind of explains what's going on. That like they found a way to get into like the moisture, how to get into like the air and like the water all around them. There's uh, and there's aliens people. underneath they're underneath us underneath the uh, earth or whatever but i wanted to read a really quick excerpt from the willows because it's really good uh it says sleepy at first but later developing violent desires as it became conscious of its deep soul it rolled like some huge fluid being through all the countries we had passed holding our little craft on its mighty shoulders playing roughly with us sometimes yet always friendly and well-meaning Till at length, we had come inevitably to regard it as a great personage. And that's what they're they're referring to, like, the forest sort of coming to life because of the energy that's in the area. And that's, like, a line straight from the willows. So it's already, like, these all influence each other. And they were definitely trying to get at the idea that the meteorite was letting out this energy that was sort of taking over the area and affecting everybody in it. But I think Ezra's had it kind of figured out. Yeah, definitely. He's definitely on to them. But he doesn't really think he can do anything about it, really. He's just like, they're here. Yeah, he's not trying to really, like, do much about it. He just wants a recording because he thinks people won't believe him. Yeah. And then he goes to show him, and he has that look of, like, oh, this dude's crazy. Yeah. But Ezra's one of those just characters. He is the shaman character. He's trying to explain, but yes, he's not mad about it. You know, he's not like, no, you need to listen to me, you fool. He's more like, look, man, they're here. That's all I'm saying. 
what did you make of the color, I guess, kind of going and activating through the electronics? Like, it even creates an image on the TV. Uh, making the eyeball? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. But then yeah. there was a lot of, like, triangles, too, which I, are significant. Yeah, the triangles, definitely. I feel like that's the uh, – because we discussed this in Midsummer. It was, like, the there yes. were a lot of threes and whatnot, and that's yeah. relative to witchcraft. Yeah. There's one on the back of um, of Lavinia's head. Yeah, like her pin her, that's her holding pin. her hair. Yeah, and then there's one in the attic when the mom is when the mom is there. Even just the attic itself yeah. is like a triangle. Mm-hmm. They yep. explain that uh, curses come back three times. Oh fuck yeah! Well, because he's just like, why don't you just put a curse on this person? And she was like, because you'll get it back like three times over. Yeah, yep. uh, which is funny because she seems to be a mixture of this very light. Um, sort of like paganism and then this odd connection to like the necronomicon that she has a copy of and then like straight up does a blood ritual later in the film all oh, over the pages. also a fun note because i'm i'm one of the metal guys here she's listening to burzum oh was she and she's listening to mayhem yeah and we gotta look it up dude she's she's blasting some black metal in her earphones oh, and like okay. crying with it and yeah. it's like the like black metal sad posting i see you i see yeah. you <laughs> So one of the one of the main questions I had for you guys, which this movie really covered a whole bunch of different horror elements, in what ways to you guys was it truly like a horror film? Like, was it a psychological horror? Was it some body horror with like the mom and the kid getting fused? Oh, it's a combination of all of those things. You've got you've got the idea. Well, first of all, you've got you've got the psychological aspect of it, where people are going insane on yes. this on this uh, uh, this house. This family, you've got the easily yeah. have the body horror elements because you yeah. have the mother and son fusing. You've got the alpaca the scene. Alpacas, that's the alpacas. into like a fucking. It's basically like the thing. Yeah, that's just, what I thought yeah. as soon as I saw it. It became it became like a reference to the thing immediately, yeah. and they look scary. Oh as my fuck. god! You never get a full view of it, but every time you got a glimpse, it was just like weird body flesh that had come together, and they're like faces are peeling off to see the teeth and the bone underneath. I thought they weren't gonna show it. I thought they were gonna leave it for us because that's what H.P. Lovecraft does. He does. He yeah. doesn't. Ex- he lets you fill in the gaps. He just says, "Oh, it's a, it's a unimaginable horror that I can't even write in these pages." Yeah, yeah which I, is a clever way I, to get out of describing it. I do. It. I do like how the film because they do show you the whole the whole creature eventually yes. for like a little bit. But I do like the first instance of you seeing it, and it's just shots of its eyes, its yes. skin, like like just like. Um, like just oozing with blood and like this pulsating flesh, and then it, like just like ah runs the fuck out, and then comes back and you see the full fucking thing. Yeah, and it's, and it's just it's awful. It's just awful. Yeah, it's probably the best CG effect that they have in the movie. One of the best CG. You know what? In the movie. I thought at some moments that maybe it might be practical effects. Yeah, yeah, definitely for the close-ups with like the pulping yeah. skin and blood. Same for the mom, who at some point becomes this weird like spider creature thing yeah. that fucking tries to eat the daughter. Oh my god, dude! Nicholas Cage's whole scene where he just drags like Lavinia up there and is like, "Now feed your mother," and yeah. throws her in the room and locks her Fuck. in there. And then she just like, and then she's like, "No, let me out!" And then all of a sudden, that fucking thing comes after her, and it's her mom. Well, I mean, I there's a lot of there's a lot going on. There's a lot of spinning plates, is what they say. Um, so yeah. like you got, you got your out of space invasion story somewhat. You have your small town big problem story. You have your unexplainable horror that is on the grass with body horror. Then you have straight body horror. Then you just have just 
I mean, even the trees come alive. Right, yeah. yeah. Like, so there was a lot of things. There's, like, fear of the unknown, kind of, where they don't really understand all of it. And H.P. Lovecraft's main point with most of his stories was that these elder gods possess knowledge that if we even got a little bit of it would just drive us crazy. And so that's sort of what happens to some of the characters where they start losing their minds over these. But in some ways, they experience their horror in a different way. So the dad ends up being like a like a sort of a copy of his own father who he fucking hates and is like and that could be his own like ultimate fear is that he becomes more like his father. Another another big fear that Lovecraft in this movie follows is that the fear that there is something you don't know about that is much bigger than you. Yes. That can that can destroy you just by like basically yeah. f- fucking flicking its fingers and your dust. Yeah. And it's just like that that fear ever looming sort of idea. And that's something very prevalent in this one as well, I'd say. Well, when Ward, you know, he uh confronts Lavinia at the end. I mean yeah. you, you get that giant She is like right in front of the well crazy CG scene where you glimpse into their world. Yeah, it's so good. It's beautiful. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> Tentacles and fucking just giant glyphs of it's all the sigils that are like on her. It's intense. And then it focuses in onto her forehead where the sigil is on her forehead. And then her eyes turn the color that you've been seeing everywhere and then sort of like disintegrate away. And then that's when it starts like eating up the area all around them. And, and Ward has to like run away. And this is when everything gets warped. All of the time space gets warped. They all get brought back and are put in like normal states and then start attacking him. And he somehow survives though. Like the whole area kind of gets nuked at that point because it just consumes everything and it's interesting that it turns everything to ash and like white like there's no color left in the area after the, it consumes everything and it all seems to go into the well so do you do you guys feel like the well had some sort of larger significance in the story like why the well i i feel like that is where like the color stored itself and then fed off of those that fed on it so did the meteorite move yes Oh, Definitely. okay. Gotcha. I think so. I think so. Or it just, or it just dissolved into the ground, right. and then from there went into the water supply, ah, and into gotcha. the trees, and into the grass, and then made its own things well, well, from here, all of that. Here's the thing about significance of water: it's the life source of all living creatures around this sudden area. Right. Not only for like the humans. I mean, they're drinking the water. They don't know. I mean, yeah. even the chicken eggs eventually get uh, fucked up from it too it should be noted that when she when the mom cracks the egg before she cuts her fingers off that having an egg with blood in it is a really bad omen like that's actually like a real thing so if you get an egg with blood like that it's a really bad omen because uh it's it's not only just blood being in general like in something you're about to eat but it's also like uh like my my grandma's told me some stuff about it and it's basically like something bad is on its way and something bad happens immediately after that where she gets her fucking fingers cut off. Yep. She so, lifts them up and is like, dinner's ready. <laughs> and yeah, and like squirts all over her face. It's so fucking terrible. And then she's like, oh my God. And like they, they realize what has happened. But I guess she got them reattached. I don't know. They didn't really show after that. Um, We got to talk about Cage. Because he basically gets his inner Mandy out. For oh, the Nicholas Cage, yeah. Remainder of the movie, like I'd say more than halfway pork, uh, part. 
taking out shotguns, fucking it's such a sister it. movie to Mandy. Like you can watch both of them back to back. You'd enjoy it. I mean, that's the thing. I was looking at this. I was telling Mitch like Nick Cage and Neon Lights is a good fucking mix. Man. Agreed. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. No, yeah. he's you know honestly, I feel like he's just at the point in his life where he gets to do whatever the fuck he wants. He's having such a great renaissance of horror films. Yeah. <laughs> he's just having fun, man. It's so good. It, it just I can just tell that he's enjoying himself doing right. these movies. He's no longer just fucking national treasuring his life. You know, not and to whatnot. say national treasure is a bad movie no not to say that <laughs> i enjoy i i did enjoy like the I first national treasure movies. yeah no they're fun they're yeah. definitely fun but he's not doing that anymore and he gets to kind of do like some more freeform stuff he gets to be his little abstract like um Indeed. like expressionist acting yeah. that he's doing yeah you get that real aggression when they're trying to show frustration i I feel like uh robert pattinson's doing the same thing yeah he's like starting to get into those indie films and getting more respected as an actor which is really good i'm hyped that you know these bigger actors are just like you know what i'm gonna make an indie film i'm gonna have fun with it yeah because like man these last ones that we've talked about they've been phenomenal like they're really really good horror films that people should watch um so this leads me right into one of like the final questions i have for you guys which is uh like one of two final i think uh do you have a favorite scene and why it could be related to cinematography certain piece of script acting even the production quality three scenes go for it they all tie oh okay okay it's the scene where they go outside it's daytime and then there's like the color like rising up over the trees Ooh, and yeah. whatnot, where it's just this huge mountain of color, yeah. and it's just it of like that purplish, that purplish hue that they do, and it's just a really gorgeous scene because all the trees are in the background. You've got the flowers growing. There's just this sense of impending doom, but it's like majestic doom, <laughs> majestic <laughs> doom. It's like that um, weird landscape that he drives uh, into in Mandy at the yeah, very end. Yeah, just like that. It, it has like that, that that mysticism to it, and I would also say. Definitely the scene with the morphed alpacas just makes me God. so happy. Like that whole time I was like, the alpacas. Yeah. Cause you know, something's going to fucking Something's happen up. to them in the yeah. movie. And then when they do it, it's fucking, it's great fucking payoff. Yes. And then of course there's the mom charging the dog, like charging Lavinia in the attic. Yes. And that like crawls. I, over I have to her. actually, that actually scared the shit out of me. Yeah. I have not disturbing. seen. I have not seen that many like movies that really were like. I am very disturbed right now. That fucking scene scared the shit out of me because it was just like it comes running up all yeah, funny. Yeah, I and fucking then jumped like, out of my skin no, for that. No. And I then the lead like, up oh. to it is great and very Lovecrafty and showing madness and whatnot at its peak. Like also being sort of goofy, but also like still like very serious. Like yeah, so I I really enjoyed those three aspects. What about uh, you, Mark? I had four, but I'll keep them kind of short. Yeah, two to three. Okay, so <laughs> the first one being uh, when the lightning strikes the stone. Just repeatedly. Repeatedly, and it, it's very awesome. It's a very good spectacle. The cinematography's great. Uh, the actor saying, wow, look how beautiful this is. And then it's just a fucking lightning rod for all this lightning. It reminds me of the fucking 2010 lightning bolt repress. Oh, all <laughs> from right. Magic the yeah, Gathering. All right, it's just yeah. hard. It's oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. We clearly play too much magic. Yeah. We're, we're literally going to play you. magic after this. Yes, so. we are. <laughs> um, other than that, I think the other one was, oh, when he's picking tomatoes and peaches. Yes. That was a fun one. He's like listening to a podcast. And you see, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's our podcast. Right. Yeah. And you totally. see the, the mantis thing like crawl out from under, but it barely misses him. Yeah. And then my final one was at the end of the movie when Ward is coming out of the giant uh, – it was coming out of the wine cellar, the bourbon cellar, and it's completely white, and it just zooms out. 
Yes, and to see the you, area. I honestly thought the entire world was white Same, for a second. But it's just that it's just like, the area. area. Basically, it made the meteor again, but on a much larger scale for the area because the forests come through. And like the oh. entire time I was looking at the forest, it just it just reminds me of a fairy tale. Totally. <laughs> so that's a good point, actually. Yeah. Um, I think the one scene that sort of stood out the most to me was the glimpse into the like terrible place that they're from and just how much or how well the CGI was done for this. It didn't look cheap. It didn't look like something that was like they just spent a few minutes on. Like they must have spent a long time creating the landscape that you get brought into. And then the transition to her face and eyes that show up with the color. It's just, it's so fantastic. And the color for that, the one that they chose, they must have like painstakingly went through a bunch of colors to be like, this is the color that we have to use yeah, you for go the film. Th- you go through like a swirl of colors before you're even entered in. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Ward is like being held down by like the little yeah, grass that just, turns into tentacles. Yeah, it starts grabbing on him while he's like laying there on the grass. It's fucking crazy. And then um, the scene where, uh, Nathan comes in and is talking to his wife and like literally kisses her. And there's like this spit that comes from like in between oh, their mouths. God, I was disturbed uh, watching it. Oh, I was like, so Oh God. And he's like sweet talking to her, like pillow talk basically. And you're like, Oh, this is so fucking weird. Like <laughs> I can't handle this. I thought I legit thought like he was probably going to fuck her in that moment. And I was just like, Oh God, no, this is so no, bad. Don't do it. Like, no, don't cross the no, line. No, 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 no. Um, but the director's not that fucked up. So he, yeah. he ended up leaving and then he fucking shoots her later, but it's still like, was that an evil dead reference? Just having that shotgun, like just blowing the shit out of things. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking into it too much. Could be, but I don't. Yeah. I don't think there's enough. Maybe yeah. I, I think you've got more premise on the thing with yeah, the exactly. alpacas than you yeah. do on Evil Dead. All right. Well, so I, I do want to mention though, at the end of the movie, yeah, or actually throughout the entire movie, Ward does not smoke weed. But after that shit, dude, fucking, he pops does on smoke J's. weed. He's like, I've seen some well, shit. It, it also like like that last scene with Ward is great because it sort of just says that he was telling you this whole story the whole time. Yes, essentially, and like now that now he's just like roaming the world with what he knows. Yeah, which is really awful. fucked. Like, yeah. <laughs> I figure I thought he was gonna suicide at that I did point. Too, I thought actually. he was just gonna jump off the well. And you guys mentioned like so many scenes that i just totally like forgot to mention so all of those i also love as well they're all just great touches to this film yeah it's that thing that you said you know just a a realization of a higher power that could wipe you in one second and there's nothing you could do about that yep so the final question i have for you guys is uh what would you rate this movie um one to five like the regular star rating for it one being the lowest four out of five (laughs) Four out of five? Four out of five, specifically because I feel like there's just a couple moments where there's a little bit of awkward acting and some, like, some like right, just a little bit of awkward acting, which is expected. It doesn't make me love it any less, though. I love the movie, but as as far as, like, comparing it to, like, something like The Lighthouse, which I would give, like, a solid five. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just, it, it's it's a little bit, like, campy in areas where I don't think it needs to be. But it does it anyway, which is fine, you know. And I, I don't know. That, other than that, like the cinematography, the, the script, and whatnot, it, it all was like really well put together. And it's it's the best. It is the best Lovecraft adaptation I've ever seen. I gotta agree. Four four out of five. I like to use one to ten, so I'm gonna say like a seven point five to okay. eight. Okay. Yeah. Seven point five to eight that for works. me. 
Yeah, um, the one to five is kind of a uh, Ebert-ish. Yeah, <laughs> he's the main person to use that rating system. Um, I think really the, the only gripe that I have is the city isn't expanded upon the town no. that, uh, like with the mayor and like the sheriff it's a and very all that. Uh, condensed small yeah. like that contained story. as well as um the cgi in some areas like the mantis when it first pops out it's kind of shoddy mm, and that's, agreed that's the only thing but other than that like i had a blast mm-hmm. i really recommend it and like it's not doing too well on rotten tomatoes it has like a 62 percent yeah it isn't doing too well um, I would give it like a 3.5 to possibly a four. And the main reason why is because I feel like the script writing was kind of weak. Uh, the, the characters themselves are not super complex. They don't really get into a whole lot of backstory. Um, and while there are some good, like small details they throw into it, there was too many like throwaway signs. And so a quick correction on the Rotten Tomatoes. It actually has 84%. Yeah. And the audience and critics actually agree Agreed. on it. So wow. it's that, kind of a good consensus all across. Yeah. Good consensus all across. You probably looked at it when it first came out. Yeah. And then yeah. and then it, it went up after people started watching it a little more. But yeah, that'd be the reason why I'd give it that rating. I felt like the screenwriting could have been much better, especially for like how intricate the, the source material is. I feel like it didn't go deep enough into what it was. I, I would say that you got to give them credit for trying. Yes, it's a you know? good adaptation, though, regardless. Yeah. And visually, it's stunning to watch it because of the color choice and because of how they've meshed everything together to create the whole tone of the story. And it, it keeps you going through. I think the pacing is excellent. Like, the pacing for the whole film, you never feel like there's a dull moment. There's not really a whole lot of time wasted. So the full two hours is used. It's not like you watch something and it's like way too long, a.k.a. the Irishman. But (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely like I would say I'd probably give it like a 3.5. And I definitely say go watch it. It has has a lot of different horror elements from a vast amount of genres. And at the same time, uh, if you like the story that it is based off of or are interested, there are many collections of H.P. Lovecraft's work. And as well as other uh, cosmic horror authors out there. So check those out if you can. Before we go, I'd like to also mention that among Lovecraft's influence, his biggest influence is Edgar Allan Poe. Yep. He was a he fangirled him he was super a fan hard. Fanboy, yeah, fanboy. <laughs> there you go, yeah. He fanboyed him very hard. Yeah, even wrote a fucking poem about him. He did. Yep. It's really gay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's easily one of the gayest pieces of literature I've read. I'm like, damn, he really loved this guy. Yes, he did. <laughs> That's a good point, and I like that. I like that as the final note for it, really. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, totally. I just had to, I had to say that, but we passed it up too soon, so oh, I was just, gotcha. or too quickly. So I was just like, I'll just put that in there. All right, the cool. Well, then, before I let everybody go, one more thing. One more thing. Um, we are going to be contacting a friend of ours, yes. who's a uh, Chicago Chicago uh, University um, student, and he's writing his thesis on. Uh, a color out of space yes. the, uh, the Lovecraft story and he has a lot of stuff to say about that so look for a special episode that we'll be doing on it uh, and or a smaller segment a, sm- a smaller it. segment but rather, it'll be yeah. his thoughts and he's like one of the smartest people I think I've ever met yep definitely <laughs> yep yeah, maybe a, maybe a little too much you'll be speaking to an actual elder god here <laughs> <laughs> well he he's a literature major right uh, dude he's doing critical theory and well, well he got his bachelor's now he's doing his master's yeah right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it, 
definitely look forward to it and we'll, we'll put it up there as an addition to this episode. So if you want to know more about it and get into some academia that's related to it, then it's definitely something worth listening to. Absolutely. Um, before I let everybody go, I want to let you guys know that we're super easy to find. We're on all of the streaming services. So if you find us on the big ones like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio and SoundCloud. And then we are also on all the social media. So you can find us at Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's all BDTGH underscore podcast. Our main website is actually attached on all of those. So you can go there and listen to the podcast within the website. It won't take you anywhere else. But it also has links to some that are more convenient for you. And then if you could, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast as it improves our rating and lets everyone see us more easily on the website. So that's pretty much it. Thank you guys for coming out to talk about this movie with me. I hope everyone has a good night. I'm Mitch. I'm Murr. And I'm Jonathan. Thank you.